Hey y'all, welcome back to a Saturday, August 13th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. We kick things off with Go Big Orange Friday with Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Shumpert. Talk all things Tennessee Volunteers. A lot of Tennessee stuff for us to talk about. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, why it might be a breakout year for him at wideout. Uh, Jawan Mitchell impressing early and where he fits in the linebacker rotation. Uh, having more bodies on the pass rusher front, it looks like, going into this year. Uh, if Ricky Gibson is uh, likely to join this 2023 class. Uh, very exciting there, so we'll see. Um, we also talk about Tennessee coming out to number two preseason uh, in college baseball for next season just behind LSU. So a lot of fun stuff talking all things Tennessee Volunteers with Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Shumpert. Uh, we got a two-parter here on the Saturday 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Uh, starting off, all things Tennessee with Ryan, and then after Preds Power Hour, oh yeah, with Brian Basson of On the Forecheck and A to Z Sports, Charlie Burris. So fun, fun Saturday for you guys here on the program. Atlanta Sports guys will be back uh, per usual next week uh, here at this time on the podcast. So uh, coming up, Right after this, local hour one and two here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back. Go Big Orange Friday on, let me check my notes here, a Friday with Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Did you go to practice this morning? I was at practice this morning, yeah. How early do you have to get over there for that? Um, Typically, we get out there around 9, so I try to get over there about 8.50. How does that interfere with your morning writing, reading, activities? Because you're cracking on sometimes a little bit before that. So is it like you've already got a lot of the juices flowing. You're already pretty ready to go. Like, is it kind of weird when you see other people stumble in? They're like, oh, man, it's so early. And you're like, yeah, it is early not because guess what started my day hours ago right yeah exactly i mean there's a certainly a sense of uh, superiority that i think i get from uh watching people drag themselves <laughs> in I'm, i usually at that you know 8 50 8 45 mm-hmm. mark i'm one of the first people there to right. so i kind of just look with pity and uh self uh self arrogance i guess as uh, everyone else stumbles in I was listening to the VolQuest guys this week and they were talking about whether like Pruitt was doing an act. He was more of an afternoon practice guy. And Heupel is one of the first morning practice guys uh, Tennessee's had in a long time. Does that do you like the morning practice and you like being there first thing and it being done? Or did, do you miss the kind of afternoon evening ones? No, I like the morning and putting things you know, all the jokes aside, seriousness. I like the fact that, you know, it gets me up and starts my day at, hmm. uh, you know, I'm doing uh, up and by nine o'clock I'm, I'm working. I, I kind of like that, that forcing me into it a little bit. And then when we're sitting around for, you know, two hour and a half waiting for the team to be done practicing so we can talk to, to players and a coach, uh, it's nice to be able to sit outside when it's, you know, 77 degrees, uh, whatever it is, you know, it's been nice in the mornings here the past few weeks. And uh, instead of if it was in the afternoon, being out on a practice field in 95 degree heat, then doing a lot of the same uh, waiting around for him. There you go. Um, Well, a lot of people are just very, very curious about position battles, what's going on at camp now that we're doing scrimmages and what we know about with rotations. And we got Jalen Hyatt today saying we're going to be the best 
offense in college football this year and that he never really entertained uh, transferring or moving on or quitting on this program. And I mean, he is he's the big one, like he's a big name. And uh, with Vilas Jones out the door, um, a lot is expected of what he does next to uh, next to Cedric Tillman. But based on what you've seen, are you still feeling pretty confident in Jalen Hyatt having having a breakout season this year? I am. I think it's more about what, you know, what we hear more than what we see because nothing Jalen Hyatt's doing in routes on air is making me think he's going to be running past Keely Ringo or anything this season. But no, I, I think one, we've, we've seen that the talents there. I, I think that much has been evident. I think if you were to um, go back in time about a year ago, maybe a little bit over a year ago and look, you know, who do you expect Tennessee's main season main receiver to be in Josh Heupel's first season? I think we probably would have, a lot of us would have said Jalen Hyatt because of that uh, talent he flashed as a freshman and just the way that really every coach we've talked to, Kelsey Pope, the one we got to talk to this week, continues to talk about him and, and his work ethic and his commitment level. I think it, it makes him the, the obvious choice. And, and even last year in a season where, he didn't have, you know, the year that I think a lot of us were expecting. He still flashes talent at times. Had a nice game in the Purdue game. Had that nice touchdown catch against South Carolina, I think, in the first quarter. So uh, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for him to, to be him. And I think uh, more than anything, I think in this offense, you know, which is kind of what he was talking about, why he didn't think about transferring. As he saw how potent this offense can be, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for whoever is the slot receiver to make plays. And I think Hyatt's going to be the slot receiver. And I think he's going to be, you know, ready to take advantage of that opportunity. Well, you wrote about uh, your practice observations today over at Rocky Top Insider. What did you see today and what what has stood out to you? What have you been most focused on or what has caught your eye the most this week? Yeah, you know, I think one thing, you know, I think the injuries in general, uh, the who's out there and what they're doing more than anything has been interesting. Brew McCoy didn't scrimmage on Tuesday as he kind of had a minor Injury before that, and he's been back on the practice field and back in full pads from what we can tell going 100% the last two days. So I think for one, when you look forward to Sunday and their second scrimmage, I think what Brew McCoy does is a huge, huge question mark. And that's kind of been something I've been watching. And on the other side of it with Kamal Haddon, who uh, seemed to kind of take an early lead at that starting corner spot opposite of Warren Burrell. He hasn't been out there for the past couple of days. Um, and, you know, Christian Charles is a guy that I think I've talked about on here that I like a lot. He's gotten a lot more reps, and I think that's kind of an opportunity for him that's opened up. And uh, I think the defense backs as a whole is something that I feel like I'm, I feel myself watching every day. And I think Charles in particular is going to be really interesting. Uh, Willie Martinez talked today about how they want to play three or four guys at corner. They want to play three or four guys at safety. I think at safety, that's probably a little more feasible than it is at corner. But if it is, you know, if they do it at corner, I think Christian Charles is kind of a big X factor. You know, he's if he can kind of continue to come on and become the player I think he's really capable of. I think all of a sudden you look in Tennessee certainly has three guys they can play and you're kind of searching for a fourth at corner. And then one last thing I'll say, and I might've touched on this last week, but Juwan Mitchell just seems like a different guy than Hmm. he was last year with his commitment level, with his conditioning, with all that stuff. He seems really, really locked in. And I think, that does a lot to just change the perplexion of Tennessee's linebacker room and really having three guys you feel really good about. And then obviously I think Solon Page III is the guy they feel good that they can play. Uh, what level he plays, I think kind of remains a question mark. But uh, those are a few things. And I want, I guess one last thing on the Jawan Mitchell, 
handful of scouts here today, NFL scouts, and a lot of guys, you know, watch, watching Jawan Mitchell from that group. Interesting. Um, but what does he provide, like, now that it's been – because I think a lot of folks have just forgotten. He was kind of a big deal transfer from Texas. Like, that was kind of a big win uh, early in the Hypel era and caught a lot of people by surprise where they're like oh we lose henry Toa, we'll just insert um we'll just insert Juwan mitchell and it'll be fine and then of course he has the uh really rough injury last year that takes him out and not a part of this team but like what does he actually provide and why would he be an upgrade over what we have seen from aaron beasley to this point you know what i'm not even sure i would say he'd be a huge upgrade over aaron beasley i think he's a little bit better in pass coverage uh a little bit more physical, you know, but not that these are I think between the that's tack- a water bottle <laughs> between the tackles, but I do think Mitchell is more physical um, and built more to play uh, in interior running game. But more than anything, you know, while I think he would, you know, might be better to Beasley, I don't think it's a, he's game changingly better than Beasley. And man, you you just have this guy that like a Henry Toa Toa would be that just completely changes the perplexion of the room. But that room just didn't have bodies last year. I mean, he had three guys that played, and with you know all due respect to Solon Page, you know he he wasn't particularly good. And you just you just need more guys than that, especially which we've talked about many times on here with Tennessee's offense. The amount of time Tennessee's defense has to spend on the field, you gotta have more than really you would like to have four linebackers you can play. And I think Page is in that category. You can pay it play, but at least three guys that can play at a, a decently high level. And I think. Uh, that's what Mitchell's emergence kind of gives Tennessee with Beasley, Banks, and then Mitchell. Interesting. It seems like everybody's raving about Banks too. Like the linebacker room might be pretty okay this year. Yeah, to me, it's the pass coverage is the question. Yeah. Right there. I mean, those guys were pretty okay last year, you know, against the run, uh, you know, at least all individually, collectively with the lack of depth. I guess it was a little bit of a problem. But you're right. And Banks' interception uh, on Hendon Hooker during scrimmage on Tuesday was a nice play. And, you know, obviously that's in, in pass coverage. And I think Mitchell's had a few interceptions earlier in camp too. So uh, I, I think to me that's kind of the X factor is how good can these guys or how effective can these guys be in pass coverage. And so far in camp, I think there's, you know, reason to be optimistic about that. I also just think when I work, like when folks are really worried about the secondary and stuff, and I think Flowers and McCullough will be fine uh, on the back end. And I think it will work itself out at the star spot. And, you know, maybe it's turn time. Maybe he's awesome. Maybe it's Wesley Walker. We'll see. Um, It might be okay. Like, I'm not really as worried about that. And I think they're going to have more bodies at corner. And like you said, Willie Martinez wants to go three or four deep, and they might have that uh, this year. I I would assume it'd be Burrell, uh, Turnage, Charles, and uh, Haddon as the four, if he can get to four, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the four t- where Turnage ends up at would kind of be the question mark there, too. Yeah. He's kind of been a swing guy for him. Uh, but that's the four bodies, you know, I think they have that are capable. You know, D. Williams would probably be kind of on the other edge of that if Turnage did have to Marion McDonald's been, like, getting a lot. Like, I've seen him being written about a lot, and that's just kind of odd that he's, like, yeah. he might be someone to watch, right? Yeah, I think at the star spot. To me, mm. from what Martinez said today, it kind of sounds like Wesley Walker and McDonald are – the two main guys at the star and Martinez, you know, he said there's a lot of guys repping in a lot of different places and he didn't want to get, he didn't want to get into too much depth chart type talk, but he kind of did get suckered into a little bit of it at, at the star. And yeah, McDonald is a guy that's been there. You know, when we saw him on the very first day of fall, do a little bit of 11 on 11, he was the first guy at the star. And really, I think you look at one Martinez was really complimentary of how good he was on special teams last year. And I think that's always something defensively. If you're a young player, 
the first thing you need to do to show that you know you can belong to play on defense and that's be a good special teams player and he was that and then I think too you look you know fast or rewind to the spring and look at how many guys since he had out in the secondary McDonald was not one of them and I think he basically almost exclusively was one of the only guys that was playing star uh, during spring practice so he got full four you know he was at safety before that and I think he could still bounce around and play there some but 14 full practices uh, working at star almost all alone uh, I think will bode really well for for where he's at here in fall camp I also just I'm curious to see what happens with the defensive line, because I think that will help a lot of the secondary concerns It's like if there is a pass rush, if because like Tennessee, like they just were not a havoc team whatsoever. There was no havoc rate. They sent they blitzed a lot, but they didn't get home. They just never got home. They never really moved the needle on that side of things. But I think they're going to be an aggressive pass rush. I think they're going to continue to be aggressive defense. It's just more of getting home and actually being able to play more than just Matthew Butler, Tyler Barron a little bit, because I mean, he didn't start for the majority of this past year and a lot is riding on his development uh, this year. Um, but you have so many bodies where you hear like Bryson Eason might start, but it's like a lot of talent. So a lot of folks who are nervous. It's like Elijah Simmons has all the talent in the world. Uh, Bryson Eason has all the talent in the world. Amari Thomas should be a good player. You go up and down the list like Byron Young. We just have this guy and like he's just there and he's going to produce and we're pretty confident he's going to be an NFL draft pick next year. And then you look at it. There's there's just too many bodies on the defensive line at this point that like I don't see how this pass rush is not better next year. Like I don't think it's gonna be elite. I think we're still uh, a ways away from that. Um, we'll see once you get Bradley and company in the building and just continue adding that depth. Where like when you have that much talent, like somebody's gonna break through uh, in that group. But it should be a lot better, right? Like I there's just too much talent that someone is going to figure it out in the interior, especially right. I wrote about it, you know, a couple of weeks ago before fall camp started. To me, that's one of the biggest questions for this team is just because if Tyler Barron and Byron Young and the pass rush takes a huge step forward, that changes things. You know, to secondary yeah. all of its issues, that just makes it just what you're saying. It makes life just so much, so much easier on them if Tennessee can ever get home with four guys. I'm not sure if they got home one time in SEC <laughs> play last year with four guys. Yeah. Um, so you're right. And to me, when I look at the interior – I, you know, I feel good. I, you have a lot of guys that are capable. I think they hold up in the run. My question mark is who can anyone in that group be an interior force in the pass rush? And that's what I'm really not sure of. I mean, Matthew Butler did that some last year. He wasn't a lead at it, but he was good at it. And I think Amari Thomas is probably to me the most likely candidate there. Um, maybe Bryson Eason, you know, in, in from the interior and pass rushing, you know, third and long situations. But uh, to me, I, I'm just skeptical that they're going to have a huge step forward in the interior pass rush than they did the year year before. But what they have on the outside, to me, that's where you got to make the gains. I mean, Byron Young really was starting to turn into a really good player at the end of last season, and I'm not sure. You know, it's funny we talk about him, and I think he's going to be good and have a good season, but he's a preseason, you know, first-team All-SEC guy, and nobody talks about him like that. I think there's high expectations for him, but I still think there's a lot of wait-and-see kind of around it. And to me, maybe Tyler Barron, there might not be a more important player on the team. And you just mentioned that there, those two guys kind of played the same spot last year. Mm-hmm. They're now on opposite sides. I think that does wonders to at least help the ceiling of Tennessee's pass rush with, because with, you know, with all due respect to Jaquan Blakely and, and Caleb Tremblay last year, those guys were good players, solid players, but they weren't pass rush threats, you know, not yeah. an SEC play. And I think Tyler Barron is that he's not at Byron Young's level, 
But, you know, he at times last year really flashed that pit game before Byron Young was eligible. He was really good getting after Kenny Pickett. So those two I'm guys. Say he had a touchdown at one point last year. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to search for that one on the stat sheet. You might gonna mm-hmm. have to go check the film to find that. But uh, those two guys, more than anything, are the reason I think there's optimism, in my opinion, for why the, the pass rush could be quite a bit better. And also just like uh, Latrell Brumpus, if he's healthy for year 13 at Tennessee, like that's another one. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just want rotation bodies that they trust. That is the main thing. So like I'm going to be just a absolute sicko looking at rotations and who got in for what amount of snaps for over the first couple of weeks of the season, because I am going to be so fascinated to see what they do because they were so steadfast where like Golish is like, nope, playing three receivers. And Willie Martinez is like, I would love to play more corners. We do, we can't play more corners. I would love to do this, but we can't do that. I, Rodney Gardner, like, hey, we look, we'll, we'll see. Um, I just, I'm very, very curious because I think there's going to be a lot of rotation all across the board uh, this year and figuring stuff out. But I think there will be uh, the cream rising to the top. Like we just saw that last year. And I think we'll see that a little bit this year. And um, I don't know. I'm not as nervous about that kind of stuff. What's weird to me, though, is now Ricky Gibson is leaning towards we get a crystal ball prediction for Ricky Gibson um, and we'll get an answer on that pretty soon. But also Jordan Matthews uh, still very much. It's like Texas or Tennessee. There's a unbelievable scenario where Tennessee lands both. I will uh, I'll believe it when I see it on that front. Who personally do you feel more confident in, Ryan? And who would you tell Tennessee fans that like, this is probably how it ends up here. Clairvoyant Ryan enters the chat. Yeah, to, to me, it seems like Tennessee is going to get Ricky Gibson. And that's just mm. from what you said, you know, the crystal ball. It's kind of, he went on that visit to Georgia, I guess not this past weekend, but the one before. And it seems like it's kind of been a Michael Scott snip, snap, snip, snap, <laughs> snip, snap, since back and forth between Georgia Wait, and Tennessee. Wait, hold on. I don't know what Marion Parker had to do with this conversation. <laughs> you got me on that one. Um, but no, uh, to me, it seems like Gibson, he's trending towards Tennessee. I don't think that one's completely over. It does seem like Georgia is still pushing. And as long as, as, long as Georgia is still pushing, you can't feel completely comfortable until he he's really until his name's on the dotted line, but at least in this case, until he makes his announcement. So uh, I think that, you know, I see him going to Tennessee and Jordan Matthews. I don't think you can roll it out him going to Tennessee, but it's to me, it's, yeah, I might see it to believe it territory. That one just feels like Texas. It just feels like one where Tennessee has been involved and in the top group for a really, really long time, but they've never been a top team. And I think, while they're once again in the top, you know, like you said, it seems like it's going to be Tennessee or Texas in that top group of two teams. Yeah, I think uh, Texas was going to win out there, but we'll see. You know, I, I think more than anything, just kind of like what we talked about last week on, you know, the four offensive tackles that we felt like Tennessee needed to get two of them. They only got one. To me, this is one uh, you just feel like you need to get, make sure you get one of those guys and you don't have to be completely reaching uh, and searching and looking at senior year tape to decide who to kind of readdress your defensive backboard and who you want. Absolutely. Um, Dylan Sampson, running back two this year, Ryan. Yeah, so uh, throwing back to coming home from school and watching some around the horn, buy or sell, uh, I'm selling that. I'm selling that take. And Interesting. Dylan Sampson has been impressive, don't get me wrong, but Jalen Wright's going to be running back number two. Uh, there's, just, there's just no doubt about that in my mind. I mean, he's been banged up and not a fully participant in practice because of it. But uh, he's one of the most guys I'm most excited to see this year because he's added a lot of muscle. His frame 
to me looks a lot different than it did last year as a freshman. We know the speed that he has. And so that's where uh, I'm, you know, I'm uh, honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's the 1A, 1B thing with, with Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. Hmm. And then after that, I think you look at who's the number three guy. And to me, Dylan Sampson may be that guy. He's been really impressive so far to date. He had a good scrimmage uh, on Tuesday, one long run. And well, maybe what stands out to him, and this may be me reading too much into some press conference quotes, but we know that he is a guy that's good pass catcher. He's a good option out of the backfield. But he also got a lot of praise uh, earlier this week for his ability as a run blocker. And to hmm. me, that's – or not as a run blocker, as a pass blocker and pass protection. Right. He does, you know, it's running backs. Jabari Small is solid there. Jalen Wright really struggled as a freshman. And then your your two other guys, you're kind of – I guess Lynn J. Dixon too, but he's a smaller guy. I don't really know what to, to expect from him in that regard. But for young players, that's a really hard area. Uh, that's one of the running backs' biggest struggles, I think, coming in right away to a college program is becoming a good – and pass protection. And obviously, like I said, we saw Jalen Wright struggle to do that last year. When you combine, if Dylan Sampson is as good as, you know, advertised, and that's not a concern for him, and with what we know he can do with the ball in his hands as a pass catcher, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to earn, you know, some third and long, third down running back type reps. Interesting. I think all five are going to play. Like, I just, I don't see a scenario where we don't get the big five. And I think they're going to rotate. Like, Lin Jay is kind of like, he's just really behind the eight ball. Like, I think if he had come in maybe earlier, if he's in June, even just for spring, I think that would have been a big difference for him just because of the natural talent. But, like, I don't know. I'm with you. I think they're going to rely on who they know with small and right out of the gate. But if they struggle or they're banged up and Samson and or Justin Thomas show out they are no problem they have no problem writing the hot hand and like who they trust no. and if they're good they don't care if you're a freshman junior whatever if you're good you're gonna play yeah absolutely and it's just it's inevitable that somebody's gonna get injured yeah or at least banged up you know it might not be anything serious but you're gonna need a lot of guys and you know i would kind of think that my guess is gonna be four a four you know four guys get opportunities early but naturally when somebody goes down and you need another body. I think all five of those guys are going to get carries this year. And, and you're right. It's going to be about riding the hot hand and all those guys, I think are going to have opportunities. So it's going to be about who can make the most of it once the season starts. Um, Let's move quickly. There's not a lot of basketball stuff, really. Uh, I mean, Cohen Carr doesn't come to Tennessee, but that was kind of expected um, that he was not going to be Tennessee bound. It's whatever. That's fine. Um, the, what I wanted to talk about though is baseball where preseason number one, number two, you had this Ryan last week that you were like, LSU is the pre, like they should be number one in the sec. Tennessee should be number two. Well, it turns out that's also the case nationally because Tennessee comes in at number two. So are they on the cat? Like, have, has the schedule been released for 2023 for it's Tennessee not, baseball yet? No. Uh-huh. I wonder if LSU is going to be on the, the docket. It should. I don't. It's not an exact, you know, rotation like the football is, but it, mm. it generally kind of follows um, that same trend. So I'm expecting Tennessee to play down in Baton Rouge uh, for a series this year, since they didn't play them last year and played yeah. in Knoxville two years ago. It doesn't. Again, it's not a hundred percent like that where football you can predict ahead with your crossover opponents. It's not quite like that, but it does generally follow a similar trend. So I, I didn't even notice that ever. Schedule. But now that I'm thinking about it, like, oh, yeah, we played Ole Miss. Oh, yeah, we played, that, that makes sense. I had not considered that. Yeah. Because they don't do that yeah. in basketball, right? No, basketball, it's just completely random. I yeah. mean, you have the three teams that you obviously, your permanent crossover. But besides right. that, you know, it's completely, completely random. I, Tennessee's, in the past, off topic now, but in basketball, like past four or five years, I think Tennessee's played Florida twice, like two or three times, Missouri twice, two or three times. So it's kind of been odd of how overloaded you get with playing, you know, a couple of 
it's a couple of the teams that aren't your permanent opponents twice, you know, multiple times in, in a couple of your stretch. Interesting. Um, what is the, when you look at number one, number two, like what is the case for Tennessee actually being better than LSU next year? I think it's the fact that you returned the best rotation in the country. You returned that, mm. you know, Tennessee had the best starting rotation in the country a year ago and they returned three or four guys. I mean, Blade Tidwell got starts too. Um, so to me, that's where you start You is it with the starting pitching. And I still think LSU's pitching depth is going to be a question mark. I mean, that was really their big pitfall last year. If they mm. had much pitching at all, they would have been a regional host team and probably a team that would have made it to the super regional instead of flaming out in Hattiesburg. But, uh, it's the pitching staff, and it's the fact that you return Chase Dolander, who's the SEC pitcher of the year and is going to be one of the top two or three picks in the MLB draft next year. And it's the fact that you return Chase Burns, who was dominant for a lot of last season and is going to be a top five pick in the 2024 MLB draft. And it's the fact that you bring back Drew Beam, who was really, really effective as a freshman too. So I think it's about the pitching, and it's almost kind of completely flip-flopped where Tennessee – while we feel like they have guys that are good in the field, you got to replace everybody. You don't do that without taking some sort of a step back. Uh, you look at Ole Miss last year, that one, team won national championship. They were just so old and so veteran uh, in that lineup, and Tennessee's really not going to have much of that at all. LSU does have a lot of that, but uh, I think when you look at the pitching, Tennessee pretty has a pretty undeniable advantage over the Tigers there. There you go. Ryan Shepard, what can the good folks check out from you over at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, plenty of stuff. Uh, some baseball stuff, kind of looking at that poll, and then Logan Steencher, who decided to to move on from his baseball career. Yeah. I think he would have been a guy that competed in the middle infield for a starting spot next year, probably at second base. If do you think he would have started? I I would lean Christian more. It would yeah. have been the guy that ends up starting, but I think at the same time, it it's one of those things where I think that competition probably goes in the first month of the season in, mm. into the non conference play until you get into SEC play when they make a firm decision. You know, Steencher was close to being Tennessee starting second baseman this year. I mean, that competition with Ortega went really, really late into preseason camp. So, had stuff on that, tons and tons of stuff on football, everything you're going to need to know on football. And then, uh, if you want to get the one real basketball piece of news, which none of that was ton, ton of news, but a non-conference schedule uh, was yeah. officially released that week. This week, we knew all the main opponents already, but had a write-up on that as well and everything you need to know on that. Um, here's my synopsis on that. Uh, it sucks. Like, let me just go ahead and say it sucks. Uh, do better. Uh, not, uh, this is not just, uh, the Tennessee PR show. Like, uh, Hey, I don't like it. Like a lot of those games are just no, like the neutral siders with Nashville, Colorado, uh, Butler's not here. Like you just look at it and you're like, oh, okay, we have to go to Arizona this time. Like, but it's just a really, really weak home slate. Like it's uh, until SEC play, you're not going to have a lot of reasons to be going to TBA. I'll say no, and that's to me, the biggest problem with college basketball, in yep. my opinion, is just the prevalence of these non-conference neutral site games. Like and I get Brooklyn again for Maryland, Tennessee. Like it's just <sighs> yeah, and and that's almost where part of the problem comes is that mm. there are so many of these. I mean, there are so many Hall of Fame tip-off or invitational or Hall of Fame events. That it's just all these neutral site games are natural, and they're already set in stone, and they're going to invite you. And obviously, we know all the Thanksgiving weekend tournaments. That there's just too many opportunities for teams to play games like that, in my opinion. And then when you – obviously, Tennessee wants to have a presence in Nashville. They'd like to play Memphis there every year. But with that I'm also game, okay I, with that, by the way. Like, I hope we, that doesn't say like a petty thing that we're just not doing it because of what happened last year. But I would, that would be a fun thing to do. Yeah, I would. I'm, there's no bigger fan of the Tennessee Memphis rivalry than myself, but 
I'm skeptical of it happening until there's a new coach, uh, either in Knoxville or Memphis. But we'll see. I, I do think Tennessee would play it if they, you know, Memphis would agree to play it in Nashville every year. But I don't think Memphis wants to do that. And I think both uh, in the court of public opinion of who is backing out of this game, I think most people would say that it's Tennessee and Rick Barnes backing out of it from his kind of response to the events, you know, many years ago now at this point. But uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And look, Memphis doesn't – I think there were a lot of tough few years ago to Memphis. You know, to Memphis doesn't – they need this game. Tennessee doesn't need it. Neither of these teams need this game. It's, there's plenty of good non-conference scheduling that, to be done. I mean, look at Memphis's schedule this year. At, I don't have it completely in front of me. They play four or five SEC teams in their non-conference play. Trust me, they don't have to play Tennessee by any means. But it's a fantastic game. It's a fantastic rivalry. It means a lot to the fans. It should be played. The fact that there's no reason to go to Thompson Bowling Arena until SEC play kicks off or tips off is a travesty. The fact that there's not a incredible non-conference rivalry game in December between Tennessee and Memphis is a travesty. College basketball needs these games early in the year to get people excited for it because more than any other sport, the regular season doesn't matter. So you've yeah. got to have intriguing games to get people to Can you even get Belmont get in the building? Like, why are we not playing Belmont every year? Like, Belmont's yep. a fun school. Like, I don't understand. Like, they're a good program. Why not play them? Play Casey Alexander's team. There's no reason not to have Belmont in TBA. I agree. And that game has not happened in a long time. I think it yeah. had happened a few times when Rick Bird, uh, who's obviously mm. a Tennessee guy, was coach at Belmont for a long time. But you're right. And I don't want to speak on it too much because I'm not a – you need Will Warren. To, he's probably a much bigger expert on these mid-major teams or low-major teams. But I think a lot of the non-Power 5 opponents Tennessee does have on its schedule from the limited amount I do know, not a lot of teams you, I'd expect to come into Knoxville and give Tennessee a good game. Yeah, but hey, at least it's a home environment. Like, that's the whole thing. Is like give people who are paying a good amount of money uh, games that they actually want to go to where it's just not over five minutes and tip. So that would be yep. that would be better. Um, Ryan Shumpert, thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part one here on the local hour, Saturday, August 13th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Mums Podcast. Thank you for making the Chase Mums Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to this very program. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, this is a national sports show where we cover every single thing, every single day here on the Chase Mums Podcast. All the sports. Yeah, everything covered here on the Chase Most Podcast each and every day here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Don't forget, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Most Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff as we continue growing that out. Read me uh, in Sports Renaissance Man. Uh, very, very fun newsletter that I do each and every day. You can read sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type your email, become a subscriber today. That easy, that simple. As always, you can email this very program at chasemostpodcast at gmail.com so uh if you have any mailbag questions anything like that for me chase thomas podcast at gmail.com tweet at me chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle Derek, how'd i do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah